Well, as a church family, we have been working through this small little passage of Scripture contained in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. And it is on the topic of spiritual warfare. And so the cover of your bulletin reflects this. If you're familiar with this passage, uh, Paul has been encouraging the early church there in Ephesus to realize that what we see is not all there is to life. In fact, our struggle, as he says here, is not against flesh and blood. And and I'd like us to just take a, a moment to pray together as a church family in preparation for reading and then listening to what the Bible has to say to us today. So I'm wondering how many of you, as we've been working through this series, have been a little more um, observant to spiritual warfare in your life. I, I'm hoping that's the case. That's one of the reasons we go through the Bible, is just to say, I'm being informed of this, and now I'm, now I'm seeing this in my life. I know that Melody and I have, have certainly seen that. So I, I want to pray towards that. I want to pray that we will have clear understanding. Uh, we've been keeping you posted on Miss Vanna and her progress, and so she is I'm praising the Lord that she is in the area now. She's been moved up from Milwaukee, and she's staying in, in the De Pere area, at one of the, the rehab facilities there. So I presume you're watching. Maybe we could just say good morning to you, Vanna, on the count of three. One, two, three. Good morning, Vanna. Yeah. And uh, that's not to say that she's the only one watching. If you're viewing online today, we're grateful that you are with us as well. Let, let's just pray together, shall we? And Father, as we think about who we are, uh, we are just frail uh, boys and girls, uh, men and women, and we are in need of you. We're in need of your strength. We're in need of uh, you to put breath in our lungs. We are grateful for your care over our lives. And, and as we think about this passage today, we're mindful that, that all we see is not all there is. We're reminded that there is sin that we fight against. There is a world that is opposed to you and your ways. And there is a devil, and he has servants that are demons. And they are attempting to, to knock us off the path of walking in relationship with Jesus. So we pray for your strength now. We pray as we read the Bible that you would add understanding to it. But not only just so that we would understand what it says, but then we pray for conviction. Help us to be convicted where we fall short and and call out in repentance to, to be changed, that our hearts would align with what the Bible says here. We pray for those this morning that find themselves discouraged. They find themselves maybe even a bit depressed or cynical. Maybe they're they're frustrated. Maybe they're not even all here together right now. Maybe there's some conflict going on. They're feeling overwhelmed. And we pray that you would just help them to find resolution to that. That they would find their answer in Jesus. You would help them to be able to pause and to just block out everything around them just to be able to hear what you want to say. And Father, we pray for for truth to go forward. 
not only in this church, but we would leave church and, and take the truth out into our community. And we would speak it. And we would see lives change. The gospel would go forward and people would be discipled. Uh, we pray for those who are physically weak today, uh, maybe not able to visit and they're viewing online. And we pray for you to encourage their hearts. And by a short, maybe next Sunday or the Sunday that follows, they would be able to be with us again. I thank you that we can worship together here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a passage that we've said is so critical that what we've asked is for you to work towards committing it to memory this summer. So let's just review it together. Ephesians 6, and we'll, we'll read verses 10 through 20, but we're only going to key in on a few words that speak about the breastplate of righteousness. So this is what it says here in Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may dwell it boldly as I ought to speak. May God bless the reading of his word. Sam has been a Christian for four years. He often is passive, unsure, and sensitive. He never feels like he measures up to his peers. Frequently he thinks, God must be disappointed in me. Alice is a young mom that is overwhelmed. She knows she shouldn't compare herself and her children with others in the church, but she can't help it. She's embarrassed that her youngest is still being potty trained and that her oldest is struggling to read. She's convinced that it's her fault. And as she compares her and her family to others, she often leaves church more discouraged than encouraged. George is competitive. Whether it's Candyland with his daughter or City League softball with his buddies, he plays to win. And his driven nature has served him well in the workplace. On his office wall, there are diplomas and company awards. Last week, he ordered his Tesla. And in August, he'll be moving into his custom-built home in Swamico. 
As he sits in the chairs this morning, he looks around and says, Life is good. Look at all that I have accomplished. Victoria feels overlooked. At church functions, it's as if people look right through her and don't even know that she exists. Life has been drab since her husband passed away six years ago. Where's the joy and the purpose that she once knew? And as she looks around the auditorium this July morning, the thought has crept into her mind, this could be the last day that I step foot in this church. In all of these cases, these hypothetical cases, there are people that are experiencing some spiritual warfare at one level or another. All of these hypothetical cases are people that are in need of hearing about the breastplate of righteousness and applying the breastplate of righteousness to their lives on a daily basis. So as we look at chapter 6, verse 14, this is the phrase that we're going to hit on. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and the last half of verse 14 says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. As we are seeing through this this series, is that every article of armor corresponds to something that we need in the Christian life. As I have been memorizing and meditating on this passage, I've been thinking about chapter 6, verse 14, that says, be, I'm sorry, rather, verse 10, that says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? He provides resources. What are those resources? Those resources correspond with the armor of God. So last week, we spoke about the truth that we get when we put on the belt of truth. And today, let's talk about the breastplate of righteousness. If you have an outline, the first statement written there is the breastplate guarded the heart, lungs, and intestines, and other organs from enemy attacks. Before there was a bulletproof vest, or a need of one, there was a breastplate. In the early stages, the breastplate would have been made with metal, perhaps bronze, and it was shaped to a person's, a man's chest. In, in years that followed, that breastplate would be made of leather. It would be from the back of a soldier's neck to the front to the upper part of his thighs. And not to wear a breastplate into war was suicide because arrows would be shot at the soldier's chest, puncturing his heart, lungs, intestines, or other vital organs. It was an absolute necessity that a soldier would wear this breastplate. So how does this breastplate correspond to the Christian life? So the second statement I have for you is we need the righteousness of Christ to be in a right relationship with God. You see that it's not the breastplate here in verse 14, but we are to put on the breastplate of of righteousness. And we are to cover our lives with the righteousness of Christ. So what does this mean? A few statements here. One of the great theologians was a man by the name of Martin Luther. 
And when he was studying the book of Romans, he kept coming across this theme of the righteousness of God. And he concluded, like maybe many of us in this room would, that in order to be right with God, what I must do is I must live up to a certain standard of righteousness. So this led Mr. Luther to entering into a a monastery. He would fast extensive periods of time. He would pray for long times. And he would enter into these, these great lengthy periods of confessing his sin. But you know something happened? He never attained that standard of righteousness. Here's a statement that says, Our personal righteousness is insufficient. The very best that we can accomplish will never make us right with God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now before there was Martin Luther, there was the Apostle Paul. And he offers his own righteous resume in Philippians chapter 3. Now, Philippians is just the next book to your right. So just a few pages to your right. You'll see in Philippians chapter 3, allow me to read verses 3 through 8. This is what it says. Paul, the same author of the book of Ephesians, says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. As you stack up all these little merits, all these little badges that the Apostle Paul had that would have been used to say, look at my righteousness, he realizes that those were like a a pile of trash. It was not sufficient. This weekend is the big Iola car show, right? Thousands of cars are arrived there and people can look at various cars. And, and I understand that there is not a competition, but imagine there was a competition and the winner with the best car received a million dollars. And so a prestigious judge was flown in just to survey all these cars and make the final decision on who has the nicest car. And let's say each one of us presented our own car. And that car represented our righteousness. As you and I would roll out our vehicles, we would find that all of them are are insufficient. In fact, they would all be just 
piles of scrap metal that lacks a tar, lacks a tire, lacks a hood, lacks a steering wheel. In fact, you can't even tell if that's a Ford, a Chevy, or a Dodge. It's just a, a heap of metal. This is what our righteousness looks like. But as I compare my pile to yours, I can tell that mine's a little bit nicer. You know why? Because I got a few of those fuzzy dice, you know, that, back in the day. And when the judge looks at all of our cars that, that represent our righteousness, he says, this is a complete waste of time. If anything, Chad, that, that, those dice actually cost you. They, they look tacky. What were you even thinking about bringing them here? This is a waste of time. I'm not even going to judge this because no one has a nice car. And that's what our righteousness is like. It is insufficient. It is filthy. And the Apostle Paul knew it. And Martin Luther knew it. And so then I want to introduce this concept to you. It's the word imputation. Imputation. And and, and this is what it means. Jesus receives our sin and its penalty. We receive Jesus' righteousness and its blessings. Now, I often try to refrain from using churchy words. I don't like to do that unless it's really helpful. But I think this word imputation is a word that is helpful for us to know. It has two different meanings. The first is that when Jesus died on the cross, he received our sin. He took our sin upon him on the cross. And so that while he was hanging on the cross... He, he looked up to the heavens and you remember what he prayed? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when God looked down upon him, he did not see his son. Rather, he saw your sin, my sin upon his son. And the son felt forsaken. But that's not where it stands it's, or stopped Since our scrap metal of righteousness is so pathetic, the exchange was extended or expanded that we would also receive Jesus' righteousness as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God. So Martin Luther understood that the righteousness of God is not so much me by merit, by, by badges, by attempting to do the good things, would earn approval with God. He, he learned that the righteousness of God is something that is actually given or granted to a person. And the Apostle Paul did as well. And it is through faith that we do this. Listen, you might be a member of this church for over 20 years. On Tuesdays, you might be serving at the soup kitchen. In the Christmas time, you might be ringing the little bell outside the grocery store. You might be making blankets for those who are abused abused at the shelter. You might fold your arms this morning and say, I raised my kids well. Each of them graduated college and is now contributing to society. I've offered a substantial amount of money to charities. I'm just here to tell you, 
that none of those righteous deeds will help you in a right relationship with God. You need the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to you when Jesus died on the cross on your behalf. Let me change metaphors a little bit and illustrate it this way. Let's imagine that you owe a lot of money. I mean a lot of money, like a trillion dollars. And then you look at your bank account and there is nothing there. You can not only not pay a trillion dollars, you can't even scratch the surface on paying the interest of a trillion dollars. You are in deep debt and you are in deep trouble. And then, due to the kindness and generosity of another person, they transfer a trillion dollars from their account into your account and so that you are debt-free. Now, that is magnificent, isn't it? But that's not where the illustration stops. Let's say the greatest desire of your life is to enter into a relationship with God on this life and the next life. And in order to have that, you need not a trillion dollars, you need a hundred trillion dollars. If you didn't have a chance of paying a trillion dollars, you certainly don't have any chance of paying a hundred trillion dollars. And the same loving, generous person transfers into your account a hundred trillion dollars. And so now you can enter into a relationship for this life and the next with God. Now, what would you do with such news? Would you say, wow, look what I've done? Or would you say, wow, look what he's done? You know, we've been working through this series on spiritual warfare, and it, it implies that if you are a Christian, you are a soldier. You are a soldier of Jesus. You are a soldier of the cross. Well, how is it that I could be a soldier? It's by recognizing your sin. It's by recognizing the of your own righteousness and by faith trusting that Jesus died on the cross for you he rose from the dead to receive the forgiveness and to receive the righteousness that has been granted to you that's what it means to be a soldier of Jesus and perhaps the draft notice is going out to you today it's time for you to enlist it's time for you to give your life to the commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. This is what we call the gospel. This is the good news. Your sins have been forgiven. They've been wiped out. And also the righteousness of Christ has been offered to you. Let's consider the third point here. The righteousness of Christ is like a breastplate that guards our hearts, affections, and emotions. In the same way that this breastplate of bronze or leather guards our vitals, the righteousness of Christ guards our other vitals. That what motivates us, our heart, that which drives us, our affections, that what causes us to feel, our emotions. And I'm here to tell you, We need the righteousness of Christ to guard our heart, to guard our affections, to guard our emotions. Uh, Proverbs 4 verse 23 tells us that we are to guard or keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. If we are not careful and and our, our heart is not guarded by the righteousness of Christ, it will stray 
it will wander. And when it comes to our emotions, when we hear a dirty joke, what we should be doing is actually rebuking or mourning over hearing that dirty joke. If, if, our, if our affections are not being guarded by the righteousness of Christ, we might actually laugh at it. In our affections... If they are not covered with the righteousness of Christ, we could say, I want to binge watch this program. And when we watch one episode, and what we should do is repent of the things that we just watched. If we are not covered with the righteousness of Christ, we might actually say, well, let's take in the next episode. We need the righteousness of Christ. I'll tell you a way that this shows up. It's this... this Precious word, assurance. Assurance of God's love. I wonder if you'd just participate with me. I'm not going to embarrass you. But how many of you here have been a Christian for over 10 years? Just keep your hand up and just keep it up right now. I want you to look around, everyone, and maybe if you're a new Christian. How many of you that have your hand up right now, sometime in your Christian life, struggled with doubts of whether you were a Christian or not? I don't think I've seen anyone's hand go down. Okay, now they can go down. I'm just here to say, if you're a new believer and you've been experiencing some doubts about your assurance, that's that's normal. That's That's actually not a bad thing. Can I share with you a passage? The Old Testament, this is a common book, right? It's the book of Zechariah. So find Zechariah in the Old Testament and find chapter 3. This is a prophet. And I think there's a magnificent word picture here that can help us with assurance of knowing that we are a follower, that we are in right standing with God. Zechariah chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first five verses. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Now, this is not the Joshua of Moses' time. This is a Joshua that's in the ministry. He's happening to serve as a high priest. And he is standing before an angel. And do you see who else he's standing before? Satan. And what does Satan do? He accuses. This is what he does. He is accusing this man in the ministry of all his failings. He is bringing them to his mind. Maybe how he compares with others and how he doesn't stack up with his peers. And then this is what it says in verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Which would be another great sermon to preach. Here's a man that was plucked from the fire. Verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. What do you think those filthy garments represent? His own righteousness. Verse 4 says, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head, So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Do you get the word picture? Here is a man, presumably a follower of God, 
that is clothed in, in filthy garments. And you have the accuser, spiritual warfare. You have the devil that is reminding him of all of his sin from his past and how much of a failure he is. And the, the accuser is rebuked. He says, enough of this. Let's get the filthy garments off. And let's put some new, new garments on him. And what do those garments represent? The righteousness of Christ. This morning, do you find yourself struggling with assurance? I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Here's what I'm going to ask you. What are you clothed in today? Are you clothed in your own righteousness? Or are you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? If you're clothed in your own righteous, your own personal righteousness, I'm here to tell you, then you should be struggling with assurance. But if you have rested in the righteousness of Christ being wrapped around you, when I ask you today, what are you resting in? You are able to say, it's not my personal righteousness, it's only the righteousness of Christ. Then you can be assured that you are in right standing with God. If the doctrines of the Bible were trophies, the doctrine of imputation for me would have a prominent place in the trophy case. This is something that's very, very precious to me. He took my sin. I received his righteousness. I think I've shared this story before, so just humor me. My older brother was out mountain biking in, um, near Bend, Oregon several years ago. And while he was uh, biking, he, he got into an accident and his, his bike was broken. He got really, really hurt and he just laid there waiting for the paramedics to arrive. And while he was waiting there, honestly not sure if he was going to live or not, he said, all I could think about was my only hope of heaven was the imputed righteousness of Christ. And there I stood and I waited for the help to arrive. But there was a comfort to that, that I was not resting in my own personal righteousness, but the righteousness that had been given to me at the cross and the empty tomb. Let me give you a final statement then, number four. A righteous standing before God leads to righteous, practical living. Who you are determines how you live. Who you are determines how you live. Can I just give you a a brief parable that we remember from Matthew 18? Do you remember when Jesus told the parable of forgiveness and there was this king that was wealthy and and one day he said, you know what I want to do? I want to settle accounts with all the people that owe me money. So they, they looked up this list and they found a servant that owed this king millions of dollars. And they said, we need you to come and we need you to pay right now. And this servant came and says, listen, I'm not even close to being able to pay that off. Will you please have mercy on me? Give me more time. I'll pay you back, but I just don't have the the funds right now. And the king did something absolutely incredible. He not only gave him more time, but he actually forgave all of the debt so that he was free and he had no debt. And that man then leaves the company of the king and goes out onto the street. And who does he see? But another man that owes him not millions of dollars, but a few thousand dollars. And he goes after him and says, pay up, buddy. 
you owe me money. And the man falls on his face too and says, listen, I don't have the money to pay you back, but, but I will. Will you just be patient with me? Have pity on me. And this man said, no, I'm not going to have pity on you. And he throws him in the jail. King finds out what he did, throws that man back into jail where he'll be reviewed by the jailers. And so here's the point of that parable. If your standing is one who is forgiven, then you are to forgive. And if your standing this morning is one who is righteous, then you are to live a righteous life. John MacArthur in his commentary said this, to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live in daily, moment-by-moment obedience to our Heavenly Father. As a heart pumps blood throughout the human body, the righteousness of Christ is to flow throughout all of our lives, guarding our hearts, affections, and emotions. The righteousness is not only concerned about what we do, but why we do it. It's not enough for us this morning to say, hey, I've been declared righteous. To put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live it out in practical ways. So we feed our hearts with the word of God. The reason I'm appealing to you, loved ones, to to commit this passage to memory this summer is that it will be available to you to recite, to meditate when you need it. And when you need it, you need it at all times. We, we feed our hearts with the Word of God, so we humbly pray to apply the Word of God to our lives. What happens if we don't live a righteous life? Well, there's, there's a lot that we forfeit. The first is joy. Do you remember David? Man, he was on a roll for so long in his early life. He lets his guard down. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, sees to it that her husband is killed. And then we have in Psalm 51, where he comes to terms with this and he is offering his prayer of confession. And in Psalm 51, verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you have joy? If we are not walking in righteousness, one of the things we forfeit is joy. We could also say we forfeit heavenly inheritance. We forfeit honoring the name of God. If we stand before God as righteous, we are to live a righteous life. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes we get our alignment off, don't we? Okay, I'm I'm righteous before Jesus. I'm righteous before God. But my day at work did not act like that. That conversation I had, not so much. That that period of leisure I had on on Thursday evening, no, that was not righteous. Our alignment can get off. In the same way that your alignment in your vehicle could get off. I think of this week, uh, I was driving like this and and my alignment was off. I was like this and I was driving straight. And I said, what in the world? And, And so I had some tires that really needed a lot of air put them back, and then it was more like, well, probably more like this, a little bit better, okay? So what happens if, if you or I say, hey, I'm declared righteous, but I'm not living that out? When we fail to live in righteousness, we confess our sin. 
and move forward. I have not been living in a righteous way today, this week. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm confessing this sin. Will you please help me? I want to live in a righteous way. In his book on spiritual warfare, Tony Evans offers a neat little illustration. He says that confessing sin is something like taking the trash out of your house. Let's just imagine for a moment you like bananas. And, and you have a, I don't know what you call them, a, a bundle of bananas, and you put them on your, on your countertop in your kitchen. What happens if you leave them there for a week? Well, they go from green to yellow to starting to get brown. What happens if you leave them there for a few weeks? They turn black and they turn to mush, right? And then you'll have some visitors, right? Fruit flies. What happens if you have some kids that like honey with their toast in the spring? You have other visitors. You have ants that arrive. Or what happens if you have maybe kids that take food up to your, their room and they're eating their sandwich, and there's bread and stuff like that? You might even have cockroaches or something like that, right? If we don't deal with our trash, things only, only get worse. I can think of when I lived with my brother in Madison. He was a student at the university. We lived between the university and State Street on West Mifflin on this cheap little apartment. And virtually every month we'd walk down our hallway and see signs on the door that says, hey, we're spraying for cockroaches tomorrow. And uh, you'd go in and go into this little one-bedroom apartment. You'd open your cabinet. You'd see your cereal bowl. And as you reach for it, they would be scattering all over the place. I mean, they were so present. They were there more than we were. I wanted to charge them for rent. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. And, and you could spray as much as you want, but unless people started taking their trash out and started dealing with their stuff, they were just going to remain. And the same can be said, loved ones. If we are aware that we are sinning and we are not applying the righteousness of Christ in our life, we're not dealing with that. Things will only get worse. Is there a man that's lazy or passive? His wife and children will experience the consequences of that. Is there a mother that's ruled by fear? Her children could feel stifled and controlled. When our loving father disciplines a member of our family, often others within that family experience some of the consequences of that as well. Here's my appeal to you. Take out your trash. Is there known sin in your life? There is this principle in Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Verse 27 of chapter 4. And do not give the devil a foothold. When we don't take out our trash, we just leave it there. The devil can have a foothold. And things will get a lot worse. Here's what I'm saying to you. If you are a Christian today, then you've been declared righteous. By His grace, live righteously. And may it be said of us, as the hymn writer wrote, when He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. 
on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I wonder if Miss Jean could come and just play quietly the piano right now. And I want to give you an opportunity to just to pray right where you're at. One, have you, are you a soldier of the cross? Have you come to terms with how filthy your righteousness is and you need the righteousness of Christ for you? By faith, call out to him. Say, I need your righteousness. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I think there'd be a benefit for you, just one, just to offer prayers of thanksgiving. God, thank you for the righteousness that you have exchanged the filthy garments that we read about in Zechariah and you've given me righteous garments. I want to say thank you for that. But then I also want the Spirit to be able to search your hearts. And if you've been living righteously, I don't think you should leave here today unless you've confessed that, unless you've taken the trash out. You've made that right with your spouse, your kids, your parents, another church member. Resolve that right now. I'm going to give you some time just to pray. If you are one that says, I'm I'm not a believer, but I'd like to be, maybe you would pray something like this. Father, I, I understand today as I've heard the Bible how filthy my sin is. And if I tried to bring my personal righteousness before you, I'd be just like a, a scrap piece, pile of metal. It's, it's just insufficient. I need what Jesus has done for me. I understand today that he took my sin upon him, but not just that. He has offered his righteousness to clothe me, and I want that. And I want to live for him. I want to live all my days and all of eternity for him. So I hope there to be evidence of that in the way I live. Help me to go to the, the belt of truth, the, the word, the sword of the spirit, the word, and just feed my mind, feed my heart with that. Help me to find other people that would encourage me in my walk with you. Help me to seek that out and share what has happened to me with others. And then I pray for those that just that are already Christians. May we just celebrate this precious truth of receiving the righteousness of Christ. And today, give us the grace to have our life live out who we are. And it's through Christ we pray. Amen.